What's up, guys? Welcome to TNT Sports Talk. Today is Thursday, May 23rd. As always, we are presented by D's Home Cuts. I'm your host, Travis Karczewski. Truman is back today. Uh, two weeks, two days in a row, two shows in a row. I mean, we're getting a hot streak right now. Yep, got a good one going. He's getting his work schedule a little bit figured out, so we should be pretty consistent um, from here on out with having Truman in. Uh, but we will see about that. But we do have a huge packed show for you today. We have a ton of stuff to talk about. We got to get right into it. Uh, we're going to kick the show off with an interview from George Zimmer, our hockey expert, another one of our three amazing hockey experts. George is going to help us break down everything that happened sort of in the NHL playoffs and give his predictions and analysis for the Stanley Cup between St. Louis and Boston. Um, so we're going to get right into that. We're going to kick that off and then we'll Come back, and we'll talk basketball, football, baseball, and we'll do it all for you. Um, so here he is, George Zimmer. All right, so we welcome on our one of our hockey experts, George Zimmer. Uh, we've been meaning to get him on for a long time now, and the Stanley Cup's here, so it's perfect time. Welcome on, George. Boys, thanks for having me on. Super excited to be on the TNT Sports Talk. Definitely. So, uh, yeah, we've been meaning to get you on for a long time. Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, the Stanley Cup's actually take, getting underway in a couple of days here. Give you a couple, you know, analysis over that. Um, so we'll just start with, you know, the entire playoffs, you know. Go through, not each round, I guess. Where do you want to start? Just, like, just go through each, kind of, like, each, what surprised you, what didn't yeah, surprise you. Just go through the playoffs, talk about it a little bit. All right, we can do that. Let's, we can, we'll start kind of with the Eastern Conference and probably talk about the biggest surprise of the playoffs, my Columbus Blue Jackets. And your you, yeah. your boys is Columbus Blue Jackets yeah. Yeah. about that defeating the Tampa Bay Lightning in four games. Um, I mean, at that round, you could just tell Tampa came in like way, like way overconfident. Stamkos didn't have it. Kucherov didn't ha- have it. The big boys for the Blue Jackets, such as Panarin and Duchesne and Atkinson, they all stepped up and they were they were big time for the Jackets. Brabowski played well. I mean, that was just that was probably one of the craziest series. And then you also had. You had Boston win, beat Toronto in seven, where Tuka Rask looked like the old Tuka Rask, and he's just been unreal since then. Um, let's see. We had uh, Carolina defeat Washington yeah. in seven games. Another one that shocked me because Washington was up 3-1. And about teams that are up 3-1 win a series about 90% of the time. So that's a pretty amazing thing. I don't know what you boys got to say about that, but uh- – that's crazy. That's pretty crazy. It's nuts. Uh, yeah. then we move, move down. Another shocking series. Johnny Glad's Penguins. Oh, lost. yeah. They got swept to the Islanders. I don't really know what. Gotta love that. Ah, it's crazy. I don't know. Well, let I me ask know. you this. Is that the is this the end of the Penguins and their run? I, I want to say they got a year left, maybe. A year or two. Yeah. Crosby's he's getting a little old. Malcolm's getting a little old. But they do have some young guy talent in Brian Rust and Jake Gensel, and their goalie Matt Murray. He's he's solid. I think they're just they're not too solid on the back end. They got Chris Letang and Ole Mata, and after that they don't they don't got many great guys. So Johnny Glad's got some more hope next year. He's got he's got another year of hope. I'm gonna say I think they'll be good one more year, maybe squeak in the playoffs. But after that, I don't see him being the the you know the powerhouse that they are. They might we can do a wild card spot years after that, but I just don't see much. Yeah. 
So then what happened to the Blue Jackets in the second round? Oh, geez, there we go. Blue Jackets in the second round. They, You know, they got up on Boston. They were looking good. We got up on them 2-1. But I think the Marshawn, Bergeron, Pasternak line, they just came out and they just lit up the Blue Jackets. And the Blue Jackets' D could not stop them. But the thing about the Bruins is they're so deep that, I mean, they it wasn't even like competition anymore for them. They just, their big boys started lighting it up. Rask was playing amazing, and it was just over for the Blue Jackets. Yeah. Uh, so then Carolina and Boston uh, in the finals there. What happened to Carolina there? Um, I mean, Carolina, I listened to another hockey podcast called Spit and Chicklets, and Paul Bissonette said the exact words that I would say is they just ran out of their luck. They had, yeah. I mean, I don't, nothing against Carolina. They they were they were a decent team this year, but they just, they grinded and they got luck to get to the conference finals. But, I mean, Boston, Boston had everything going. They weren't going to lose to them. I feel like everyone knew that. And, yeah. They just weren't deep enough. They had a couple defensemen, Dougie Hamilton, Justin Falk, and um, Jacob Slavin. But after that, on the back end, it was, like, unheard of of who they had. And on offense, they didn't have – their only big score this season was really Sebastian Ajo and Tevu Teravine. And then after that, it was – they had no hope. Yeah, it seems like Boston's really kind of like the favorite. Yeah. Um so go through kind of like the Western Conference. Let's hear a little bit about that and um, what their playoffs look like over there. The Western Conference, you know, was a it was a little little more normal, I'd say. But um, let's see where we'll start. We'll start at the top with Colorado and Calgary. That was that one was a crazy series, you know. Every, no one really thought Calgary would do much this year because they were kind of a surprise team, but they came out yeah. as the number one seed on the West despite to like a solid year with their star Johnny Goudreau and they had another breakout year from a breakout year from Michael Ferglin, who's a former uh, Carolina hurricane. And I don't know that series. It was just, uh, I don't, it was just a weird series. Colorado had someone who I think is personally the best player in the world, Nathan McKinnon on their team. And he was just a tank in that series. Yeah. He was unreal. And the playoffs alone, I'm, I believe he had 13 points. It was crazy. He's he's a beast. But um, yeah, that one was just that. It was just um, it was the Nathan McKinnon show, I'd say, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and then um, move down to the other series in that San Jose and Vegas. What a series! That was probably my favorite series to watch in the first round. One to seven games. Then I don't know if you guys saw it. Three zero, Vegas in the third period and. Yeah, I remember that game a little bit. Yeah, Joe Pavelski gets cross-checked in the head by Cody Eakin. Weak call. They give him a five-minute major, and the Sharks go on to score four goals. I remember I was watching the game. I was shocked. Shark goes on. And um, also, fun fact about that, when there's a five-minute major in the NHL, I don't know if you guys know, like, the you can't – you're in the box full time. You don't get out of the box, like, when they score. So okay. you stay in full time. That is only the second time in NHL history – that team has scored four goals on a five-minute power play. That's crazy. Wow, that's actually a good. You, good was the, back you know what there. the first time was? The first time was in 1994. Wow. And I believe it was the Calgary Flames 
But I'm, I don't want to. I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Yeah. But that's no, it's the second time in NHL history. That's a good fun fact right there. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good fact there. Um, that is nuts. Yeah. So let's talk about um, what was the last St. Louis? They played San Jose, right? Yeah, St. Louis and San Jose. St. Louis had a great journey to get there. They defeated Winnipeg in six games, which I feel like a lot of people knew. Because the thing about St. Louis Blues, I don't, big news, January 2nd, they were the worst team in the NHL. And they've come all the way to the Stanley Cup. That's kind of crazy. Because they – they're back they're big, for Their big guys did not they – did, they did not do anything in the first half, and they just lit it up. It was – they came all the way. They got they're so deep. They have, they got a young guy on their team, Robert Thomas, playing on the third line, St. Louis born guy. Unbelievable. He, he's shown an insane amount of skill. I think that he's gonna be something big someday, but he was he was crazy good. Can you explain to me what was that call in that uh in that series that St. Louis fans were all pissed about? What went on? Oh, okay, so what happened is Timo Meyer for the San Jose Sharks, another young stud who I think is going to be great, came down the ice, and um, it was just a weird sequence how the puck ended up there, but the puck was in the air, and Timo Meyer hand-passed it. You're not allowed to do that in the offensive zone. He hand-passed it to Joe Pavelski over to Eric Carlson, who scored. So the Blues fans were freaking out because of the hand-pass, and that it was a terrible call, and it basically blew the game for him, but Head coach Craig Ruby came in the locker room after the game, and he told the boys, he's like, boys, this doesn't affect how we play. He's like, we just have to move past it and come on. And sure enough, next three games, St. Louis comes back and wins them all in decisive fashion. All right, let's move now to the Stanley Cup then. Give your prediction for the Stanley Cup. Oh, boy, here we go. (laughs) Stanley Cup. This one, I was thinking about it all day yesterday. It's so tough. But um, I'll, I'll go through position by position, like, Real quick breakdown. For sure. On the on the back end of goal, Blues got uh, rookie goaltender Jordan Biddington, who's been a stud this year. And Boston has veteran goaltender Tuka Rask. And this one, I was going back and forth, looking at all their stats. And honestly, on this one, he, a lot of people say, well, Rask is the veteran, so he's got it. But I'm going to give this one a wash. I think they're Biddington and Rask, it's, it, you can't pick between them who's the better goaltender. Yeah. It's, it's tough. And then... On the back end, I got to go with St. Louis because the health of Zidane Chara is unknown right now. And Boston has been out without without uh, Kevin Miller for the whole playoffs. So I'm going to go with St. Louis on this one just because they got a couple studs back there in Colton Perenko, Alex Petrangelo, Jay Bo Meester. Yeah. Um, but then they also got good depth on defense with Vince Dunn and Carl Gunnarsson and uh, Joel Edmondson, and then even Robert Bortuzzo can step in, and he plays in sometimes. He's a, he's a good player. Um, but yeah, I mean, just I got to give it to St. Louis on that. Even though Boston still has some good D and Charlie McAvoy and Tory Krug, but yeah. And then we get up front, and it you got to give it to Boston. I mean, their top line, in my opinion, is the best line in the NHL: Marshawn Bergeron and Pasternak. Mm-hmm. They've they've been crazy good, but because uh, Bergeron leads the Boston in goals in the playoffs with eight, Marshawn with eleven, and Marshawn eighteen in points, and Pasternak's right up there with them. But I mean, it that line is unreal. And then they got second line: Jake DeBrus, David Krejci, David Backus, 
third line, they got Coyles, Johansson, and Heinen. And then on the fourth line, they got Nordstrom, Sean Corrali, former Miami of Ohio player, and Chris Wagner. And it's just the the depth with that team is crazy. And don't get me wrong, St. Louis has got the leading or the the Jaden Schwartz, who's got 12 goals in the playoffs, which is the most among a player still playing. Mm-hmm. And then Braden Shen just scored his first goal in 10 games in uh, game six against San Jose. So hopefully that's something that'll get them hot. And then they got one of the better players in the league in Vladimir Tarasenko. And then that, like that stud I talked about earlier and Robert Thomas. And then yeah. St. Louis' fourth line with Ivan Barbashev, Oscar Sundquist, and Alexander Steen has just been unreal. Definitely. Uh, so what do you think? How many games? Give it to us, George. Uh, I, I got to go with – I can't stand Boston, but I got to go with Boston in seven games. Why do you think people hate Boston so much? Because they win too much. You know, Red yeah. Sox, Patriots. Every yeah. year I feel like I'm watching the Patriots in the Super Bowl. That's yeah, true. there's no there's no way you can fully root for Boston in the series. <laughs> I know I'm doing for Boston unless you're a Boston fan. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we heard it here first. Boston and seven, George Zimmer. Uh yeah, I think it's I boys, I think it's gonna be an insane series and I advise everyone to watch it. It's gonna be it's gonna be crazy. It's gonna be one of the best cup finals I'd say in the past five, six years. I'm excited to watch that. Now, Bailey had the Flames versus the Blue Jackets. That was his Stanley Cup prediction. Dude, that dude doesn't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, Bailey says he's the number one hockey expert in Ohio. My original original pick was Boston and San Jose. I was close. Yeah, and you got one of the teams at least. He had Blue Jackets and Flames. That was (laughs) Bailey's. Bailey's literally an Oilers fan. I can name more players on the Oilers than he can than that bum. (laughs) All right, so are you are you saying you're the number one expert? You're taking over? Yeah, me and Josh Gower. Okay. Oh, All, right. Josh. All right, perfect. All right, George. Well, you know, we appreciate you coming on. For hopefully, you know, first of many times we'll be on this show. Hell yeah, George. Boys, it was a pleasure. Definitely. Definitely. Boston and seven. We're going with it. Boston and seven. Well, Thank we're going to have you on after the series so you can help break it down. I will be more than happy to. All right. Perfect, George. Have a good one, brother. Thanks for having me on, boys. All right, that was George Zimmer, another one of our hockey experts. Uh, George, Josh Gower, and Bailey McRitchie have all come on and given us exceptional hockey uh, talk, and we love having them on every single time. We want to get all three of them in here and help them battle it out. Uh, It seems like George and uh, Josh have sort of a beef with Bailey, and we want them to, you know, get that all squashed on the show. I think that could be a lot of fun. So we're going to try to get them all three in one of these days. Um, But let's now get to basketball. We got our hockey talk out of the way. Let's get into basketball. We're going to go through the playoffs again like we do on every show. Uh, Fortunately, though, fortunately for the Warriors, unfortunately for us, the Warriors have not had any sort of news the past couple days. So we'll just get into the Bucks versus Raptors series, which is... Um, 2-2 right now, so we'll just start there. We got Truman, the Bucks fan, in here. Are you worried? Um, you know, obviously, um, I planned on winning that game, uh, game four. Uh, I thought the series would be 3-1, and I thought I'd be celebrating an Eastern Conference title tonight. Um, but it's not how it went, unfortunately, and the Raptors played a really, really good, complete game. Um, by far their best game of the series, and by far the Bucks' worst game of the series. Um, in my opinion, 
I didn't think it could get much worse than game three. Um, and, you know, Giannis played better, uh, but, you know, the role players that need to step up did not play better, and um, the Bucks looked absolutely lost out there. Um, the Raptors look like they know how to, you don't really know how to guard Giannis, but you know how to stop him to a degree, and the Raptors are really narrowing that down. Um, they're really getting physical with him, um, you know, getting in his face, you know, hitting him hard when he drives into the paint, you know, closing out lanes, closing out passing lanes, and they're making it really tough on him, and you can tell just by his face he's very, very aggravated. Um, you know, obviously, this series, in my opinion, comes down to home court advantage, and as a Bucks fan, that makes me excited because they have home court advantage. Uh, you know, two out of the next three games uh, will be played in Milwaukee. Toronto has an amazing fan base. I mean, they have a whole freaking country behind them. So it comes down to their fan base versus our fan base. And I think, you know, eventually, it, it, you know, Milwaukee will win the series because of the home court advantage. Um, I think we'd still have the better team, the more young team, the more talented team. But, you know, it comes down to the Bucks or the Raptors are very well coached and they're still very talented. Uh, but, you know, I think it definitely comes down to home court at this point uh, because you've seen the Bucks took care of business their first two games and the Raptors took care of business their, first, their two games in Toronto. Uh, so it really comes down to who wants it more in the next two or in the next three games and, um, you know, if needed. And I think the Bucks, with getting the two home games in Milwaukee, uh, you know, are at an advantage. But the momentum is on Toronto's side right now. But I think once you see uh, Milwaukee tonight, uh, it's going to be hard to beat. Are you still planning your trip to Milwaukee for the finals like you were on Friday? Yes, I will. Um, I, I Like I said, I, I think the I think the Bucks are going to win this series. I mean, I, I really do. I'm very confident on that. I just... I'm worried, but I'm for sure still planning. So you are worried. Not necessarily worried, um, but I'm. You know, there is a little bit of concern in me. Concern, but not worried. Concern, but not worried. What's the difference between the two levels? Worried is panic. I'm not panicking. Uh, I just think that the way the Raptors have played, let's, game three. Let's say the Raptors win tonight. Where are you at? I'm panicking. You're panicking. I'm officially panicking. If the if the Raptors win tonight, I'm I'm officially in panic mode. But I think the Bucks will win tonight, and then it comes down to Game Six in Toronto, and then a Game Seven in Milwaukee. Um, and if it comes to that Game Seven in Milwaukee, I am going to be very very confident, and I still think there would be a good chance that we could keep Game Six in Toronto. Um, because I just think that that's the way the Bucks are. They just have to be more consistent. Eric Bledsoe has got to be better. I mean, he has been the most disapp- disappointing player in the series, in my opinion. I love him to death. He's one of my favorite players outside of Giannis. But he has got to be better. Um, offensively, he is missing point-blank shots. He is getting wide-open threes and bricking them off the backboard at times, um, off the rim at times. Just... He needs to be better. He needs to be more impactful. He's a great defender. Um, you know, He's electric when he drives, but... He has got to be better. Um, they have to rely less on George Hill, and that comes down to Eric Bledsoe's play. And I just think if the Bucks play more consistent and a little bit better, I think the Bucks will win this series outright. What do you think about Drake? He piss you off? I don't. I don't understand how the NBA lets that go. I understand everyone compares it to Spike Lee 
And no, he's way more annoying than Spike Lee. Yeah, that's what Spike I mean. Spike Lee doesn't touch the coach. Yeah, that, that can't be allowed. Uh, there's, you know, if that's a normal fan, like let's say I got, you know, tickets somehow on a courtside Bucks game and I started rubbing Bootenholzer's shoulders, I'd be thrown out. Like there'd be security on me. And I understand it's completely different because Drake's Drake. But like he's in that situation. He's a fan. He's not an owner of the Raptors as far as I'm concerned. He's not, doesn't invest in the Raptors as far as I'm concerned. He doesn't pay the players' salaries in my, in my opinion, like as far as I know. Um, so in that scenario, he's just a very famous rich fan. And that doesn't mean that he can touch the coach. It doesn't mean that he can basically be on the floor at times. It doesn't mean he can basically be in the Raptors huddle at times. It's really annoying and it's it's kind of childish and to the point where I don't understand how I do not understand how the refs didn't do something or security didn't do something. I mean, he literally touched the coach. I mean, that's not right. And I know Nick Nurse probably didn't care. I know they probably know each other. But at the same time, in that situation, as far as I know, he is just a very rich, famous fan. And that does not give him priority or anything over anybody else. Because that's just saying anybody else who's on courtside can do what Drake does. And I know if I was courtside, I would not be allowed to touch Mike Budenholzer and any Bucks player. So I think it's really annoying. I think the NBA really needs to shut that shit down. Yeah, I don't know uh, about that. Uh, yeah, but yeah, that series goes again tonight. Uh, Raptors and Bucks look to put it up three-two uh, in Milwaukee. Momentum's on the Raptors' side, so we will see what happens. I mean, it's Kyle Lowry has sort of stepped up in these last couple games. I mean, most people thought Lowry just isn't a playoff guy, but he's been he's been amazing the last couple of games. I mean, he had thirty points the last game. I mean, all the role players pretty much stepped up for Toronto because Kawhi. I mean. He played. Well, he played a ton of minutes on Sunday, and he was he looked exhausted in the last game. And he only scored 19 points, which is kind of weird for Kawhi. But then you had you know guys step up. You know Ibaka had 17. Gasol had a couple points, and uh, Fred Van Fleet has did absolutely an amazing job uh, the other day. You know he went in the first couple of games. He was shooting like five for 36 or something, but he came out uh, in game. Uh, was it game four and just absolutely shot the lights out of the building for the Raptors and that was huge as far as the Bucks go I mean Giannis had 30 I believe Middleton had 30 and then that was pretty much it no other Bucks player had over 11 points and that's not gonna work when you're trying I mean, they're to just win gonna need, they're gonna need Bledsoe to step up that's like I said at the beginning of the show Bledsoe is the key to this series if we are gonna go to the finals Eric Bledsoe has got to be better. I mean, he has got to start driving more. When he drives, good things happen because he's either he's you know he's electric player, he's fast, he's quick, he's hard to defend. When he drives, he's either getting fouled or he's getting a nice layup. But he settles. Um, he settles for stupid shots sometimes. You know, he doesn't pass the ball out sometimes where you know as as far as I think he should. Um, you know, and he's not a selfish player by any means. Uh, but. There's just plays that Eric Bledsoe could be making that he's not making, and I think that that's really impacting the Bucks right now. Because I listen, I like George Hill. I think he's a really good bench player, good role player, but I do not want to have to def- I, you know rely on George Hill for the rest of the series. Eric Bledsoe is a a star in my opinion when he's at the top of his game, you know, and he's a top defender still, but. He's got to be better, and that's what it really comes down to. Yeah, Amir Titch has to step up. You know, Brooke Lopez has to step up like he did in game one. 
you know, I wouldn't mind seeing someone like Pat Connaughton have a breakout game or, you know, George Hill continuing to step up. But it comes down to Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Eric Pudso. Those three have to be more consistent. I know Giannis' stat line looked good last game. Chris Middleton's stat line looked good last game. But they're still turning the ball over. They're still making dumb plays. They, Those three, the Bucks' big three, has got to be better. The role players, yeah, they have to step up. But it comes down to those three, specifically Eric Bledsoe. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, let's move on, though. NBA announced uh, their all-defensive team. We'll just go through it real quick. Um, first team is Rudy Gobert, Paul George, Marcus Smart, Giannis, and Eric Bledsoe. Um, and then the second team, Drew Holiday, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Joel Embiid, and then Kawhi Leonard. So I don't really think there was any shocks here. Um, you know, all these guys are great defenders. So let's go on to the next basketball thing, all the all-rookie team. First team all-rookie team. I thought this was kind of interesting. Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Jaron Jackson, uh, DeAndre Ayton, and Marvin Bagley. What do those five players have in common? What? All five of those players were the top five picks in the draft this year. So scouts got it right, it seems like. All guys had great seasons. Uh, and now I think it's going to be between Luka and Trey for rookie of the year, which I think you'd give it to Luka because he had more of a consistent season. But we'll see. Because, you know, Trey Young, towards the end there, Trey Young was the best rookie, easily. But uh, Luka Doncic had more of a consistent season overall. So I think there's going to be an argument there. Argument can be made. But as far as rookie, it wasn't rookie of the last two months of the season. It's rookie of the year. And I think you give that to Doncic. Yeah, I would say um, Luka gets it. He was just, like you said, more consistent all year. Trey Young was obviously fantastic. And you can't go wrong with either, but... Trey Young's ugly as shit, too. I just can't stand watching him play. Yeah. He's just got this weird-ass, like, rat look on his face. I just... I don't know. I don't know. I like Trey Young. I think he's going to be a really good player, but just Donkey, he can do guy. more, and he was just more consistent. So that's your that's your rookie of the year, in my opinion. He's just a weird-looking guy, in my opinion. I don't know. I wouldn't give rookie of the year to him. Because, again, it's rookie of the year, not rookie of the last two months. But uh, let's move on. Last basketball thing we had to talk about... Um, we'll shift though to NCAA because we haven't talked about NCAA basketball in like six years. It feels like ever since the tournament ended, Juwan Howard has been hired by Michigan as their next basketball coach. Uh, he played 19 seasons in the NBA. If you remember, he was a part of the Fab Five for Michigan. Um, he was considered, I guess, for some NBA jobs. The Cavs were looking in on him. Uh, he was the Heat assistant. He was there for the last couple of years. But ultimately, he ends up with Michigan trying to put back together. I guess not put back, keep that Jim Beheim mold that has been held in place the last couple of years. So uh, we'll see if he can do it. But as far as an Ohio State fan goes, again, Taking uh, Jim Bayham away from Michigan was probably the Jim best Bayon. thing. John Beeline. John Beeline, whatever. I, I always get those two fucked up. So um, so those two taking away um, Bayheim from Beeline. Beeline <laughs> from, just gonna, from Michigan was huge for us because, again, all Michigan really had to talk about was basketball. Um, and now I don't think they will anymore because he really held that culture together. And I don't know if Jawan Howard – a rookie head coach, first time ever head coaching a team, is going to be able to hold that together. So we'll I see. I think this is a really good hire. Uh, obviously, like you said, 19 years of NBA experience. I mean, that's just yeah, that's when you have experience like that on your sidelines, you can't go wrong. 
Uh, now it's just all about getting the recruiting down and stuff like that because he obviously has the basketball experience to be a head coach. I mean, uh, Jason Kidd's NBA experience didn't help him. Yeah, because there's, I mean, there's obviously other things that come into play. Um, yeah, just because you have experience in the NBA doesn't mean you're going to be a good coach. I think knowing that 19 years was spent uh, as a professional in the game um, gives you a pretty good chance. Uh, obviously, his love for Michigan runs deep and true. Uh, so now it's just all about, like I said, getting the recruiting down, getting that down, because I feel like that's a really hard thing for college coaches to really truly um, you know, nail down. Uh, but once he gets that down, and uh, I think he's going to be a very good coach. And I think Michigan did a good job you know, bringing in someone who – uh, runs deep and uh, loves Michigan. Uh, I just don't think loving Michigan is a, you know, the big reason as to why. Why do you think he's a bad coach? Why do you think? He's a bad I don't coach? know. I, he's no experience. College is way different from the NBA. You don't have to deal with recruiting in the NBA. You don't have to deal with all that stuff. You don't have to deal with you know kids like NBA. You got NBA. I mean, you're coaching an NBA team when you're on the NBA roster. All those people on the NBA roster can play. Those kids are playing. Those guys are playing for money. Yeah, but they all start at college basketball level. Now you got a lot of kids who, majority of NBA of college kids just cannot shoot a basketball. That's why college basketball is somewhat hard to watch, um, and that's why playing for an opportunity outside and- of the NCAA tournament, like nobody watches college basketball, and it's just like I don't know. It's hard because it's hard to watch, but we'll see what happens. I just think this is this hurts Michigan a lot. Um, but he'll help with recruiting because he's an NBA player, you know, 19 years in the NBA. He's got some fame behind him. Obviously, his NBA career wasn't, like, spectacular, but it will help with recruiting. But let's move on. We'll see what happens. I just don't think it's going to do I don't understand how you get the bad hire out of that. But. Because uh, I think Chris Holtman's a way better college coach than Jawan Howard. Okay. But you haven't seen him because of freaking down yet. Down for a minute. We'll see what happens though. Let's move on now to football though, where we shine. But let's talk about Dom's home cuts. Truman's sitting here, about chewing my arm off because he wants to get out very quickly because he has a haircut appointment at D's Home Cuts. D's Home Cuts is the best place around Northeast Ohio for a great haircut at a low price. For only $7, these home cuts will provide you with a modern haircut and styling, and it will look great and you will feel great. So go check him out on his Instagram at these home cuts. Me, Truman, 90% of the guests we had on the show uh, have gotten a haircut at these at least once or their lifetime long clients. George Zimmer is a client of these these home cuts. They're all over. Go check them out, these home cuts on Instagram. Send them a DM, and trust me, you will not be disappointed. These home cuts, professional haircuts at a low price. NFL draft locations have been revealed. Uh, the two, I believe, have been revealed. We're still waiting on 2022. I mean, this feels like a long way away. I mean, they can't. We'll go to Las Vegas first. Las Vegas is next year. I think we all know that. That's gonna be really cool. Um, I don't like it though, cause it. I mean, I don't know. I I don't like that the Raiders are leaving. Um, so I don't like how the NFL is sort of promoting that. Um, Cleveland in 2021, close to us. You know, that'd be cool if we could get down there and watch some draft coverage live. That'd be awesome. Um, 2022 is undecided yet. Although I've heard some rumblings, Green Bay. I've heard rumblings for 2022 and 2024 for Green Bay. So I, I would bet that they would have at least one of those. And then 2023, Kansas City, um, which, I mean, we had success in Nashville, so that's sort of around that area, so that would be cool. Um, 
it's 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 an interesting you know method that they're doing they're trying to move it around more it's been in new york the last couple of years but they're trying to move it around and it's been working i mean the nashville was amazing this year that was one of the coolest experiences uh i've seen in a long time with all the football fans lined up and down the street um uh, but 2023 is a long way away i mean well where will we be where will we be in like four years it's just interesting to think where will we, where where will we be watching the 2023 draft in Kansas City. I mean, where will this podcast be? You know, hell, maybe we maybe maybe we have like our own press booth at the table uh, in Kansas City to cover the draft. It's just insane to think, you know, where you'll be when you're watching the 2023 NFL draft in Kansas City. That's an interesting take. I mean, it makes you really, really think about your life and where you're gonna go and where you want to be. But now, this podcast, it could be. You know, we could have our own little booth there. We could be covering it live for somebody, um, or it could just be, you know, over. But um, we'll see what happens. It's just, I don't know. Cleveland's going to be cool, though. I think Cleveland's going to be a lot of fun. I'm not really sure where they'll put it. You know, just think, stop chewing your gum. You never really know where they'll put it because, you know, Cleveland's kind of an interesting landscape. But uh, hopefully we can get down there to watch it and, uh, you know, get some pictures online for it. Um, and they also moved the scouting combine to prime time. Did you see that? Prime time what? Prime time, like eight eight p.m. Eastern time. Scouting like combine the drills. Uh, I don't know why. I'm not really sure why they did it, but uh, um, it's gonna be cool. I guess we'll see what happens with that. Like we always do, we'll see what happens. Um, let's do off season review though. Um, let's get into that. Let's go to the Seattle Seahawks. We're going to finish up that NFC West division. Uh, let's talk about Seattle and their offseason. 10-6 and six last year. Snuck into the playoffs, but an early exit for them. Um, Who did they lose to? They lost to uh, uh, Dallas? They lost to Dallas, didn't they? Um, yeah. Yeah, they lost to Dallas. Yeah, because Dallas lost to Los Angeles. Yeah, so Dallas, they lost to Dallas, so early exit for them. And honestly, pretty rough offseason for them. Losing Doug Baldwin right after the draft to retirement was, I mean, that was a shock to everybody, and especially to the Seahawks, and he was a huge player for them. Um, Then they lost Mike Davis, who came on, was a big piece for them last year. They lost J.R. Sweezy, a big offensive lineman for them. And then they lost Earl Thomas and Justin Coleman. So you just see more of that. It's tough watching it as Packer fans. We saw it in 2011 and years past. Once you win that Super Bowl, you get sort of a connection with your Super Bowl team that won you that Super Bowl. And when you start to see these pieces, you know, get traded away or cut or all this stuff, like it hurts. It hurts a lot. And, you know, Doug Baldwin and Earl Thomas were big pieces of those Super Bowl teams. And to lose those guys, I mean, it's, you just slowly see them die off. It's very brutal, and it's just like it hurts as a football fan. And then they, they also lost Sebastian Janikowski, the big Russian kicker. They lost him to retirement. But they signed Jason Myers to replace him, the Pro Bowler from the Jets last year. And they also got Mike Iupati from the Raiders. Uh, they signed him to help that offensive line out. Um, but that's it. That's pretty much all they've added um, 
And then the draft, they went out in the first round and got L.J. Collier, um, which was kind of a shock. Most people didn't think he would be a first-rounder. Most people didn't think Rashawn Penny would be a first-rounder, but he was, and he actually turned out to have a decent rookie season for them. Then they got the biggest, most polarized player in the draft with D.K. Metcalf. Um, they went out and drafted him in the second round to supposedly replace Doug Baldwin. Not sure how well it's going to do. Then they took Marquise Blair in the third, the safety from Utah, uh, to kind of replace Earl Thomas, which, I mean, it's kind of difficult to replace Earl Thomas uh, on the back end there. He was a stud there for the last couple of years. And then, you, you know, you had Russell Wilson's contract, the, one of the biggest contracts in franchise history. Uh, you got him locked up for the next couple of years, so that helps. But now Bobby Wagner also has a new contract. He wants to be signed, and he I guess he wants to get paid as much as C.J. Mosley, which was, you know, a pretty big deal for the Jets. And now that you already signed Russell Wilson, now you got to sign Bobby Wagner to a big deal if you want to keep him, which I'm pretty sure you do because, I mean, he was, he's been keeping that defense together for the last couple of years. Um, so all in all, I would rate this as a pretty up and down, but mostly down offseason for the Seahawks. And I'm not really sure where they go from here. Yeah, so last offseason I thought – um, the Seahawks had a bad offseason, and I thought they were going to go to complete rebuild mode. Uh, but they looked better this year than I thought, definitely better than I expected. You know, they were 10-6, uh, and six, like Travis said. They snuck into the playoffs. I did not expect that last year. I think Pete Carroll's a very good coach, as much as I don't like him. Um, and I think he's able to keep it all together. And like I said, Russell Wilson's, you know, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, if not, you know, top five, you know, in some people's opinions. Uh, you know, and I just think that he's such a great leader. Pete Carroll's such a great leader. Uh, Wagner's a great leader. So all those guys together can keep together a really good bunch. Um, you know, and they can win some, they can definitely win some ball games. The Seahawks will always be competitive with those three pieces I just listed off. And I think that's just going to be the way they are this season. Uh, I think, you know, playoffs, uh, you know, they'll be a slip team. You know, they're in a very good division, Rams, 49ers. Uh, competitive young Cardinals team. It's going to be tough, uh, but I think that the Seahawks can definitely be in play for a wild card um, and definitely give uh, you know the top of that division run for its money as they always play each other tough, every one of those teams. Uh, so I think they're going to be around the 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, and seven train, uh, but I, I could be completely wrong, and the Seahawks could be a very, very good team this upcoming year. I'm going 7-9 and nine for the Seattle Seahawks. I think they finished with a losing record. Uh, I just don't think... They did enough to replace what they lost. I don't know. Marquise Blair is an interesting prospect. Don't know if he's going to be able to fully replace Earl Thomas and what he brought to that team. Um, granted, Earl Thomas only played in a handful of games for them last year before he broke his leg. But still, that is a big loss for them. Um, losing Mike Davis is going to hurt as well. I mean, I know people don't know a lot about Mike Davis, but he really was a big, you know, uh, reason as to why that Seattle running attack was very potent last year. And, you know, Pete Carroll, Trent Brown, he's a very good coach. They completely changed their offense and I guess their whole philosophy last year. I mean, early on when they were winning Super Bowls, it was pretty much defense and passing the ball, running through Russell Wilson. Um, and then every now and then you'd give it to Marshawn Lynch and he would just dominate up the middle. With all that gone, the defense sort of gone, they built that defense a little bit differently. I mean, they added a lot of raw prospects. I mean, what was it? 2000 I we mentioned it on the show a couple time a couple shows ago. I think like the 2011 draft class, they have like 
11 out of the top 12 picks have played for the Seahawks at some point because they just rack up, you know, all like the cast off guys. Um, and they signed, who did they sign? That, that's why I brought it up. Um, I can't remember. But they signed somebody who was like a top pick in 2011. But anyways, um, they sort of built it through like that, and they changed it all to pretty much a running attack offense. And the combination of Rashawn Penny, Chris Carson, and Mike Davis last year really helped him out. And then Doug Baldwin. But that's all gone. They have none of that. Um, and now with this money situation, I think they're slowly starting to slide. I would even make the argument that, yeah, they made the playoffs last year. But they started to slide a little bit last year. They're no longer a dominant team. They're no longer division winners. They went last year to a wild card. And now they're just continuing to fall, I think, slowly. And I just don't think they did enough. I don't really understand why they took LJ Collier in the first round. Um, And they just make a lot of questionable moves. But they still have Russell Wilson. And they still have Pete Carroll. But I think 7-9 is where they'll sit in that third spot right there. Uh, in that division, so yeah, I think it's gonna be up between the Seahawks and the 49ers uh, for that second spot. I think the Rams will win that division, uh, but you know, I think uh, the 49ers are definitely the up-and-coming team, and the Seahawks are definitely the team that's falling. Uh, so I'm gonna say eight and eight, nine and seven in that range. Um, you know, I'm gonna say they fall right in that second to third spot in that division, just competing for a wild card spot. I don't think they're on the Rams level yet, but like I said, it. All those teams will always play each other tough, so it's going to be an interesting division once again. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't trust the Seahawks. I, I, they're probably going to prove me wrong again, but that's just how I feel on that. Let me see if I can figure out, who did they just sign? Um, I can't figure it out. They signed somebody. I can't. Oh, it, they signed Ansa, didn't they? Did they? Yeah, Ansa, yeah. Visit, but I'm no, signed him. who signed him then? I don't know. The Ravens signed Iggy Ansa. Ziggy Ansa. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I know the Seahawks brought him in for a visit. Who did he sign? Why Why am I completely... The Seahawks signed him then. Who am I... Oh, I gotta look this up now. This is gonna piss me off. Uh, Ziggy Ansa. There we go. Alright, he signed with Seahawks. Yeah, okay, so yeah, I was right. Um, he signed with the Seahawks, so I forgot to put him there. I just, and he's good enough. He's a good prospect. He's a good player, but he just has to stay healthy. So if they can get something out of him, you know, him and LJ Collier, they got a little bit more out of Deion Jordan last year. Um, we'll see what happens right there. And, you know, they still have, uh, and they got rid of Frank Clark, didn't they? Yep. So yeah, they, I completely missed out on a lot of players here. I'm just it's slowly unraveling in my mind right now the Seahawks offseason. Um, but yeah, they got a couple players. They lost a lot of guys. I just don't think they did enough to recuperate what they lost. Uh, let's go now to baseball. Let's wrap it up with our MLB standings update of the week, like we always do, just to keep you updated on what's going on in the world of Major League Baseball. Um, so let's go to the, no, let's start with the National League. Uh, let's go to the NL East. The Philadelphia Phillies still lead that division. Uh, the Braves are one and a half games back. Um, so that's the closest they got there. Braves have actually, you know, they've won seven out of the last, uh, ten. So they're sort of coming together a little bit. They had a good week, um, but they're still far away in that division. 
Then we'll go to the NL Central. Uh, Cubs are still leading that division by two games with the Brewers right there on their heels. Um, not much going on in that division in terms of movement this week. Cubs are on a two-game winning streak. They went 6-4, and four, so they're continuing to hold that. Um, but I give a shout-out to Josh Bell, the Pirates, Johnny, Johnny Glad's Pirates. Um, Josh Bell has been absolutely killing the ball for the Pirates. Um, so you got to give him a little bit of a shout-out. But they're, they're still on a two-game losing streak. Um, then the NL West, that has not changed. The Dodgers are still leading that. Padres are in second by six games back. Uh, Dodgers went seven and three in their last ten, so they're still holding on to that pretty uh, pat there. Then let's move on to the American League. The Yankees are leading the American League East. We had a shakeup in that division. Uh, the Rays were in first place no longer. Um, the Yankees, you know, they've won four straight. They're eight and two in their last ten. Which is surprising because they've had, I mean, a lot of injuries. I mean, they've had enough injuries to fill up an entire hospital ward. And they've been putting it together with some of these guys. I mean, shout out Gio Urshela, one of my favorite players from the Indians. They got rid of him, and now he's batting over 300 for the Yankees. So, then we'll move on to the AL Central. Uh, the Twins are still leading that division. The Indians are seven games back. Uh, so, it's looking a little rough for the Indians. But, again, a lot of baseball left to be played. Got a big series for the Indians coming up. I think in two weeks they play the Twins. Uh, they play the Rays this weekend, so that's going to be huge for them. Um, but it's nice to have, you know, the Indians the last couple of seasons have not been playing for much, you know, in August and July. And now it looks like we're going to be playing with the Twins for that division here. And it's nice to have a series this early means so much for the Indians. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I still don't trust the Twins. I still think the Indians are going to win that division. Um, I think their pitching is going to come down to earth a little bit. It's a little inflated right now. And I don't think Jorge Polanco is going to keep doing what he's doing. Um... So then we'll move on to the AL West. We're just going to ignore Terman here. And the Astros are still leading that division. Seven and a half games back is the closest opponent, and that's the Rangers. Uh, but the Astros, they went 8-2 and two in their last 10, so they continue to hold that division down. That's baseball. That's the division. Memorial Day is on Monday, and I guess... As uh, the old adage is, you know, Memorial Day is really where you can start to judge your team and kind of predict it for the rest of the season. Kind of judge your needs based on what's going on. Indians, you know, they're at the spot right now where they have to make a decision if they want to go all in on this season or they just want to, you know, take a step back and continue to develop these guys. Um, because honestly, you can make the case that the Indians are going through sort of a a mini rebuild right now, sort of rebuilding for next season because a lot of their lineup, I mean, they just got rid of Carlos Gonzalez. They just cut him. Um, a lot of their lineup is a ton of young guys that need at-bats, and that's, what been, that's what's been the criticism of Terry Francona this season, um, even something that's been leading to, you know, people saying we should fire Terry Francona, which is dumb, completely idiotic. Um they need to play young guys. Young guys need at-bats. And the Indians just have not been giving their young guys consistent enough at-bats. Getting rid of Carlos Gonzalez is probably probably means that Tyler Naquin will come back when he's healthy. And Oscar Mercado will stay, which is huge because he's been a lightning bolt for the Indians the last couple of games. Um, but that's my Indians rant. And that's it for our show today. I want to thank you to our sponsor, D's Home Cuts. Truman's about to head out get a fresh haircut. 
Um, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Leave us five stars. Leave us a rating and uh, subscribe. Follow us also on Twitter at TNT Sports Talk One Two. Give us five. Uh, not Twitter. Sorry, TNT Sports Talk One Two. I was reading the long, long, wrong line. Uh, you can tell we're getting to the end of the show. Um, TNT Sports Talk Twelve. Send us a questions, comments, concerns to the DMs. We have a couple interviews possibly lined up possible ramblings of another professional athlete getting onto the show so stay in tuned for that that will be all on our twitter when that comes out um but that's it for our show today i want to thank you for listening and tune in on tuesday hopefully truman's bucks have a little bit better of a you know outlook on tuesday go bucks and go packers